The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Raleigh, North Carolina, and here's your top five at five. Big Tech's wild comeback, breaking it down after one of the biggest rebounds in recent history. But the Dow, down, hosting one of its worst days in months, and futures, they're down again. Pipeline problems, gasoline shortages, and a long road to recovery as the majority of Colonial Pipeline's operations remain shut down. We'll speak with one distributor feeling the pinch and about what the real situation is on the ground. Meeting today, vaccines tomorrow, maybe a key CDC advisory committee set to convene to weigh approving COVID-19 vaccines kids as young as 12. And renters beware. If you thought buyers are the only ones feeling the heat of the housing market, you would be wrong. It is Wednesday, May 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome. From wherever in the world you may be watching, good Wednesday. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. And what an hour we have got for you between the market's wild swings yesterday to the very latest on the big pipe and gasoline shortages. There is a lot happening right now. Let us jump right in. Futures They are down once again across the board. Same thing we saw yesterday, although not to the magnitude. Dow futures down exactly 100. NASDAQ off 65. Now, the focus again will be on big tech and the NASDAQ because that big time U-turn it did on Tuesday. We were down bigly in the morning, really all day long. Buyers stepping in late in the day and nearly brought the index back into the green by the close. Maybe some short covering maybe some technical reversals, whatever it was, it was one of the biggest intraday reversals that we have seen in months. But the Dow could not do it. It tumbled 470 points for its worst day since February. Something to watch and something else to watch. And what's interesting is that as stocks moved down, bond yields, they didn't move at all. And the benchmark 10-year yield is pretty much exactly where it was one week ago at 1.62%. We'll get more on that in just a moment. Cryptos, they all saw some wild swings, but right now they are just doing what they had been doing, and that is plowing on higher. Ethereum, a new record high at 4311 bucks. It's up nearly 6%. Bitcoin and all the rest are also higher. Get you more on all this as the morning goes on. Well, around the world, Asia not following in our footsteps. A mostly mixed picture in the overnight trade. Japan fell again. China was higher. And in the early European trade, well, they're all in the green. They were in the red at this time yesterday, but they're starting their day fairly nicely. Not big ways up, but they are up nonetheless across the board in Germany, the UK, and France. So let's jump right in on this Wednesday and find out more about what is going on with these markets lately with Gibbs Wealth Management President Aaron Gibbs. And Aaron, we noted that the bond market didn't move. I know that that is something that you also have and probably still focus on. It wasn't like some great fear trade where the VIX spiked and yields fell and gold went up. 
Bonds didn't do anything. What does that tell you? So, yeah, this is very much an equities only story. It's not about across the board inflation fears that we've seen uh, a lot before. This is really about economic recovery and leadership rotation, pure and simple. And when you don't see the equity markets and the bond markets in tandem, you've really got to look at what's going on and dig deeper into what the equity leadership looks like. And so when you look at the first couple months of the year uh, and and the overall trend, as well as what happened last week um, and certainly the beginning of uh, Tuesday, you really see that it's the smaller cap stocks uh, within the large cap space that are outpacing the mega caps and mega caps have really lost their shine uh, for this, the first five months of the year. So I, I think investors really need to understand that um, during an economic recovery with a supportive central bank, you're going to see the smaller cap spectrum outperform the mega caps, particularly when those mega caps are so highly valued for the past two years. Bank of America had a note yesterday that when value begins to outperform growth, Aaron, it tends to last for a long time. I think something like five years. I'm going off memory, but it was around that time. The rotation into value trade has only been going on for a couple of months, but it still feels like people don't believe it. I mean, I guess maybe we've been so conditioned for a decade that tech is the only thing to invest in. You you think we just we just we just can't. It's not the journey song, Don't Stop Believing. It's never started believing. You know, if you've been a value investor for the past five years, you've been underperforming. So it is hard to finally believe it. And even when you break out value versus growth year to date, we did have April where growth, it looked like growth was making a comeback. But since May, we've seen that continued value outperformance. Um, And this relates to Again, the smaller cap, less highly valued companies, when you look at a value index versus growth, you have a bias, a big bias towards smaller cap companies uh, within any universe. Uh, And growth tends to be those highly capped mega caps when you're looking at market weighted indices. So uh, a value index is a way to get exposure to those smaller caps, uh, as well as also being able to play off of any inflation concerns. So Using a value ETF is is a great way to get exposure to both the smaller cap uh, recovery and economic expansion, as well as some inflation protection. Yeah, there's another one, too, and you mentioned market weighted. And I think that's very important what you're saying, where these big tech companies, they've got outsized power in any of the market weighted index. Is that why you're recommending an equal weighted ETF? And it's RSP, I believe, is the ticker where... If a company with a $10 million market cap does well and Apple does not, the index should still outperform versus a market cap weighted ETF. Yes. So you don't get as much exposure to your financials and some of the stocks you don't necessarily want, like your consumer staples. You do get exposed to all the companies within the broad market index, but you're definitely giving more exposure to the smaller caps, which are really what are driving the economic recovery and tend to do well 
uh, for multiple months, if not a year uh, or two years in an economic expansion because they're the ones that more greatly benefit. And when you look at some of the growth rates for these smaller companies, uh, you know, you're looking at double digit uh, gains even in the mid 20s. So they even though they may be classified as value, they certainly look like growth stocks when you look at their earnings. So um, equal weighted is a great way to get exposure and outperform the broad market. And maybe equal weight is greater than greater weight going forward. Something we're going to watch. Aaron Gibbs, Gibbs Wealth Management. Aaron, a pleasure. Good to see you this Wednesday morning. Take care. All right. When we come back, the continued saga of the Colonial Pipeline still closed as panic gasoline buying starts to set in and states declare states of emergency. Plus, the streaming service not named Netflix or Disney Plus that is riding high ahead of the open. Who is that mystery chart? And then, why renters are now starting to feel the squeeze from the red-hot housing market, a report you will only see here on Worldwide Exchange Returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, now, to the very latest on what we know and what we still don't about the current status of the Colonial Pipeline and fuel supplies all along the East Coast. As of right now, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, and North Carolina have all declared a state of emergency as each state looks to shore up its own fuel supplies. Now, according to Gas Buddy, as of 11 o'clock Eastern Time last night, some 16% of all North Carolina gas stations are out of gasoline, either some or all grades of octane. It's about 10% for Virginia, 10% for Georgia as well, 8% for South Carolina, and only 3.5% for Florida. That's all coming courtesy of Gas Buddy. According to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, the Colonial is expected to make a decision on fully resuming operations by the end of the day today. Now, whatever decision they make, if you are hoping for immediately relief once the pipeline comes back online, you may have to wait a bit longer. In fact, maybe up to more than a week for things to get back to normal. That is because fuel runs through the pipeline at about five miles per hour. So when you add up the more than 1,500-mile trip from its origin in Houston to the final destination for some of the gas in New York, that's about 13 overall days. Of course, other areas, like in the South, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, whatever, even Maryland and D.C., they will be a little bit quicker. But for the longer-term terminuses, like Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, it could be a longer wait. Now, all of this assumes 
And it's always dangerous to assume that the pipeline is empty and has to start from scratch with an empty tube. Remember, the Colonial has holding tanks all along the route, a massive transfer station in Greensboro, North Carolina, for example. And we simply don't know the status of, well, anything with regards to the tanks or the pipes right now. But either way, if there is a prolonged wait for gas, one solution to get gasoline to New York, New Jersey, if needed, are ships. Yeah, they're slow and they're still in Europe, but still maybe faster than a full wait for the pipeline to come back online. So yes, we can import refined gasoline from Europe. Seems weird, but we can do it if need be. And the latest report is that six tankers, at least minimum of six, have been hired from Europe for a possible trip, although no word if they're on their way. Bottom line is, later today, we should hear from Colonial's management about the status of the pipeline and whether it can substantially begin to operate again by the end of the week per their plan a couple of days ago. We find out today it's a big day. For more on this story and how consumers are facing the crisis, let's go now to Frank Collin, who flew down to Georgia, luckily had flights, he had fuel on his plane, and he made it to Atlanta safely. Frank, (laughs) we're glad to see you there because uh, that's kind of the epicenter of a lot of this for many different reasons. What are you seeing on the ground there in Georgia? Well, Brian, I'm definitely seeing long lines everywhere you go. Also, gas pumps covered. You know, gas demand and prices, they usually rise in the weeks leading up to Memorial Day. It's nothing new. It's the unofficial start of the summer driving season. But this, gas stations completely without gasoline, some of them covering their pumps with plastic bags, that is unusual, and it's being caused by that ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline, and it is being felt especially across the southeastern states. Now, according to GasBuddy.com, many truck stops here in the Atlanta area also out of fuel. That's something to watch. We've also seen people beginning to buy and store gasoline, those red canisters that you have in your garage showing up more and more as some are stockpiling fuel. Worried supplies might run out, and the price, it might run up. And if you filled up in recent days, you've actually seen it. Regular unleaded prices up more than 13 cents from just a month ago, 7 cents a gallon higher from a week ago. Big jumps in a short period of time. But AAA is urging drivers not to buy unless they really need it. Urging people against panic shopping and, and hoarding. So if you do have a trip coming up, just go to your local gas station and gas up and then plan along the way to get gas, but don't wait till the needle is on empty, you know, begin to sort of plan ahead a little bit, channel your inner Boy Scout and always be prepared. So Brian, you mentioned I'm here in Atlanta. I was at the Hartsville Jackson airport yesterday. That's one of the busiest airports in the nation. And they are looking for different fuel suppliers, but so far they say no impact on their operations. However, American Airlines was forced to add a stop to flights from Charlotte to Hawaii and Charlotte to London because of the fuel situation. Southwest Airlines also delivering fuel to impacted areas. The trade group for airlines says contingency plans, they are in place. The Biden administration also responding, easing rules that limit hours truckers can drive per day in order to keep fuel moving to impacted states. Brian, back over to you. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, too, because usually, Frank, as you know, a plane will come in, you know, and pretty much be out of fuel. Then it fills up and goes where it needs. I'm hearing reports that planes are coming in with extra fuel to actually offload. So airports like Hartsfield, Charlotte and others have more fuel. Okay, you're out and about. 
You talked about panic buying. People say, don't do that. <laughs> but we are human nature after all. And you and I were right. both on the ship show last night, and I said, apparently gasoline is the new toilet paper when it comes to hoarding. What are you seeing and hearing from people at gas stations in and around Atlanta? Yeah, Brian, if you go to my Twitter, uh, Frank CNBC, I can show you better than I can tell you. I showed some uh, some videos there, number one, of signs where the gas stations have just zeroed out the price of regular unleaded because they don't have it. Most of them do have diesel fuel. And then really long lines. I showed a video. I kind of start with all the pumps uh, filled up, and then I just walk down a line of at least two dozen or so cars. I talked to a few of the people, and I asked them, I said, hey, are you panic buying? Are you worried it's going to run out? And they said, I'm not panicking, but I got to get to work. I got to get my kids to, to school in some cases. I just need gas. So I'm willing to wait for it now. And t- because, like you mentioned, there's no uns- there's no clear certainty yeah. about when this is all going to end. It's never. Oh, I'm not. I'm not panic buying. That guy is right, Frank. It's him. It's not right. me. I need to go to work. <laughs> He's panic buying. Meantime, the lines are building up. Reports of five-hour-long lines in North Carolina, folks. There is gasoline out right. there. Just note that. Frank Collin, we'll see you all day in Georgia, my friend. Best to you. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right. And by the way, we're going to be speaking with a fuel distributor, one who supplies gas to gas stations in a couple of minutes. He will know exactly what's going on in North Carolina, so tune in for that. In the meantime, the battle for the future of the Republican Party and maybe the future of Congresswoman Liz Cheney She doubles down in her attacks over former President Trump and her party's leadership. Plus, Amazon saying no thanks to a $300 million tax evasion fine. We'll tell you what they're doing. Today's big number, 117%. That's the increase in web searches for inflation since the end of 2020. According to Google Trends, that's the highest relative search interest since at least 2008. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome or welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers on this Wednesday morning. Three stock stories that you have to know about, or at least we're going to tell you about anyway. Stock number one, SoftBank. Company reporting a $37 billion fourth quarter profit from its vision fund. I was fueled by investor enthusiasm for things like tech stocks, driving the listings of SoftBank firms like used car site Auto One Group. Stock two, it was your mystery chart. And did you guess Fubo TV? If you did, good work. Shares are popping after the provider of streaming bundles reported better than expected first quarter revenue and subscriber numbers. The company also raising its sales guidance for the year. Fubo TV stock booming. It's up 20% right now. Still down in the year, but up 20% right now. Stock number three, a related company to that story, Vizio. The smart TV maker topping Wall Street's targets in the first quarter. Vizio also revealing it makes nearly as much money from ads and customer data as it does from selling televisions. Shares, though, are falling despite that earnings beat off 3%. But 
They're still up nearly 40% Vizio's IPO in March. All right, let's step outside of the world of money and business and get a check on this morning's other top headlines, including some big news in sports, both baseball and horse racing. With NBC's Philip Mena in New York. Philip, good morning. Hey, Brian. Good morning. First, we start with breaking news out of the Middle East, where the violence between Israelis and Hamas is escalating and showing no signs of slowing. At least 30 people were killed yesterday and over 200 wounded in rocket attacks and airstrikes between the two sides. Officials say more than a thousand rockets have been fired at Israel since the fighting began. This is the most intense fighting between the two sides in seven years, and the U.N. has warned that it could spiral into an all-out war. House Republicans are expected to purge Congresswoman Liz Cheney from her top post this morning, but she remains defiant, delivering a stark warning to her party last night about the dangers of embracing former President Trump's election lies. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has backed New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik to replace Cheney as the GOP conference chair. And a COVID outbreak has hit the New York Yankees. The team says third base coach Phil Nevin, first base coach Reggie Willits, and a support staffer have tested positive for coronavirus. All three were fully vaccinated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and these are considered to be breakthrough cases. And finally, Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit has been cleared to race in this Saturday's Preakness Stakes after his trainer said Tuesday that the horse was unwittingly treated with an ointment containing steroids, which may have led to a failed drug test. Organizers say the horse will undergo rigorous testing for the Preakness. Brian, back to you. Yeah, interesting news there out of Baltimore, I guess. You know, but but for some bettors who may or may not have bet on Mandaloon to win, it was a little bit of a frustrating, frustrating few days. Just throwing that out there. Philomena, yeah, thank you that. very much. Do appreciate it. All right. I can live it. All right, <laughs> ahead. Is gasoline really about ready to run out in the South? You see in panic buying, but we've got a one-on-one with one of the largest distributors in North Carolina what is really happening on the ground right now. You're going to want to hear that. And if you have not already, hear our podcast every day, right? If you start commuting to work again, many of you will be, if you're not already, download the podcast. If you can't catch the show, it's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Just call me and I'll read it to you. We're back right after this. The selling continues. Futures, they are lower again, but can big tech do another big-time turnaround today? That despite about a keep the easy money rolling, another Fed head speaking out saying it is no time to taper. And the gas lines and the gas cans are out as panic buying sets in across the South. So when will the Colonial really start to run again? We may find out today on this Wednesday, May 12th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. Exactly 528 here in the East. Hope you're having a great start or great finish to your day. Perhaps you're watching us from Hong Kong. Who knows? Well, what a morning it is here so far between the wild market swings late yesterday to the latest on the colonial and gas shortages, or at least the perception of gas shortages There is a lot going on. Let's jump right in. Futures, they're down, not nearly as much as they were yesterday, but they are in the red. Dow off 80, NASDAQ off 53. Now, this time yesterday morning, NASDAQ futures were down about 165, so about triple what they are now. We opened way lower. Selling was fast and furious. But then 
in the later afternoon, maybe short covering, maybe technicals hit, whatever, the algo's popping in. The NASDAQ did a massive U-turn, a buyer stepping in late yesterday, and they nearly, nearly brought the NASDAQ index into the green. The Dow, though, could not do it. It dropped 470 for its worst day since February. And we talk about these reversals intraday. Well, (laughs) look at some of these swings from their lows to the close intraday. The TAN, the biggest solar ETF, right, solar stocks, moved 7.7% from its low of the morning right at the open into the close. Remarkable. The XBI, a big-time biotech ETF, it moved nearly 6%. And the XLE metals ETF went 5.5% from its lows to its highs of the sessions. Those are within just a few-hour periods, truly Wild swings all across the market on Tuesday. Will it happen today? We don't know. you got to stay tuned to find out. Right now, though, to some of this morning's other top stories, including another Fed president talking about the central bank's ultimate policy roadmap. Bertha Coombs is here now with more on that. Some of this morning's other top stories. Bertha, good morning. Morning, Brian. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard is echoing a number of his colleagues on keeping the central bank's easy money policy intact. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, Bullard acknowledged while progress has been made with the economic recovery, he says it's too early to talk about taper when it comes to when the pace of purchases will slow. Bullard adding that he and his fellow Fed heads will let Chairman Jay Powell lead talks on when that move is appropriate. Now, the CDC's Vaccine Advisory Committee is set to meet later today to decide whether to approve allowing kids 12 to 15 years old to get Pfizer's COVID vaccine. That vote comes after the FDA signed off on the move Monday on an emergency use basis. If the CDC does that final yes vote, the age group could start getting vaccines as early as tomorrow. And Europe's second highest court has ruled today in favor of Amazon's appeal of an EU order to pay about $300 million in back taxes. In 2017, Europe's competition chief accused Luxembourg of an illegal deal with the e-commerce giant to pay less tax than other business. Today's decision comes less than a year after Apple won its appeal over a back tax bill to Ireland. So looks like they won't be getting that extra tax money, Brian. The, the tax fight, not just here, but all across the world, is, is going to be maybe one of, if not the, corporate stories to watch in the next couple of years. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much, Bertha. Talk to you soon. All right, now back to this morning's developing and top story, and that is the continued shutdown of the Colonial Pipelines. Now, it is causing shortages of gasoline, or at least the perception of gasoline shortages in some areas, which is causing some panic buying. and People not only racing to fill up their gas tanks, but racing to fill up gas cans. There are reports of four or five-hour-long lines in parts of the South. So what exactly is the real situation with gas supplies? Well, David Alexander is president of J.T. Alexander & Son, a North Carolina-based fuel distributor. It's been around since the 1930s, the heart of NASCAR country. They are used to filling up gas tanks quickly. David, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, We know how it sets in. It's the panic buying. Got local news reporters go out. People see other people in line. They race online. Is there 
truly any kind of a gasoline shortage anywhere that you service? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a tough couple days here. You know, we were yesterday morning, I woke up and we had one location out of fuel and, you know, we're doing our best with allocations at the terminals. Uh, This morning I woke up, we probably had 40% of our locations after yesterday's crazy wipeout of fuel. People were lined up all day long for no reason. Uh, You know, people still got to get back and forth to work and people were coming out of the woodwork buying fuel yesterday. You know, my dad owned a gas station when I was a kid in California, David. I only bring that up. It was during the gas crunch. We had lines, and I remember the big tanker truck would come in, and sometimes it was only a fourth full, and that's all that we could buy because that's all there was. And I remember that, and my dad sort of getting frustrated by it. So tell us where the problem points actually are. You will go to a big tank on the Colonial or the Plantation Pipeline, which, by the way, is another very important pipe right next to the Colonial, and fill up your trucks to take to a gas station. Is there fuel in the tanks? Is it that you can't find drivers to deliver it? Where does the where is the problem point? Yeah, so there there's fuel. We we haul most of our stuff out of the Charlotte terminals in Greensboro. There's fuel there. Uh, you know, whatever was in the tanks was in the tanks when the pipeline shut down. So, you know, we went through a process and by April 15th they had to drain the tanks to get the summertime fuel in. And so they've been recovering from that. So, you know, there was fuel in the tanks. Uh, you know, whatever was in there on Friday is still there. Um, it's getting low at the terminals. There's no question, but uh, we're still able to get fuel. We're having to take tankers and go to multiple locations just to get, you know, our customers in fuel for just to sell a little bit, just kind of, kind of like it was back in the gas shortages in the seventies. So, um, and, and drivers yeah, are ama- amazing. You know? the, the more, the more I look at it, David, it looks like that Greensboro hub is such a key point for you and others looking to get gasoline around the country. So, what are you hearing? What are uh, BP and Marathon, some of your suppliers, what are they telling you about how much they have left and when, they, when the Colonial may be telling them they can get more? Well, yesterday they were able to do some manual uh, pushes from those holding tanks at the terminals uh, to get them into the specific terminals, Marathon, BP, Shell. And that happened successfully yesterday, so we were able to get a little bit out of those tanks. But that pipe's got to get going. We got to get get that thing flowing, uh, you know, in the next day or two, or we're going to, we will be in a mess. Yeah. And I guess the confusion, David, and we talked about at the beginning of the show is that if the pipeline is truly empty, I mean, drained, which we don't know if it is, it could take up to two weeks to get new supplies from Houston to New York, where we are, because it, it moves at about five miles an hour. That might be a week for you guys in North Carolina, any indication on the sort of knock-on effects? Is there is there fuel sitting in the pipe stopped yeah, there, right now? Do you have any fine. idea what the status is? Yeah, the pipe's full. I think it's full. I mean, when they shut it down, it was full. So there, and there's plenty of push for, push barrels in in the refineries to push the product up. Um, I mean, I think it's gonna once they can crank it up. I think there'll be a slow process to get it cranked up. But once they do, I think there's plenty of product to push. So. You know, once it gets going, I think we'll recover. It will take a week or so just to get all our locations filled back up to normal levels. But, um, I mean, I think as soon as they can get it going, we'll, we'll be on our way to recovery uh, pretty quick. Okay, so take us, take us. that's good news, David, because you're trying to figure out the status of the actual physical pipe. If it's empty, that's a whole different ball of wax. Sounds like it's not. That's, a, that's one of the small positives we've heard in the last few days, David. So take us through it. Today we're supposed to get an update from Colonial Pipeline about their, their timeline. Let's hope that we do. Let's say they say 
we're shutting the, we're turning the thing back on tomorrow full steam. How long will the residual impact, do you think, you know, to the your ultimate consumer in, I don't know, you know, Greenville, South Carolina or Greenville, North Carolina? How long will that last? Yeah, I think it'll last probably a week, you know, through the weekend and early next week if they can get it cranked up. They cranked it up today. I, I mean, I don't think they'll go full capacity today, but if they can get it going by the weekend, I think we can recover uh, by midweek next week. You know, it's uh, um, it's just a process. Of, if, if they bring it back on, everything's working correctly. That's a big, huge, massive undertaking. Uh, they've never shut the whole thing down yeah. before. So, you know, they, they're, I'm surely they'll have problems here and there, but I think they're working hard, I hope. Uh, to get it going. Now, you may not be a cybersecurity expert, David, or you might be. Who knows? I don't know what you do in your personal life, but I'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit. You can just tell me to, you know, buzz off, which is this. You mentioned the, the switch to the summer driving blend where they drain the inventories. Either it's just a stroke of massive luck about the timing of this, or whomever is behind this may have picked the exact best, in their case, worst in your case, timing to do this, correct? Yeah, because I, the I tanks were already being lowered when they shut it off. Yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know, that may have been the case. That was April 15th. They were building inventories again, so I'm not sure if that was timing. But um, nevertheless, you know, we are going in through the driving season of summer and, and Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, they were they were ramping up for that, for that season, uh, especially having an inventory, you know, not being able to base their, their – uh, inventories from last year because it was crazy in the pandemic so you know they're they were committed to us that they were gonna have plenty of fuel for the driving season because we've seen it pick up quickly do people view you've seen the news reports david you're living the news reports you are the news at this point do people need to hoard gas please say no absolutely not that's that's the thing i mean we were fine you know the pipeline's been shut down since friday we were going through the weekend everything was rateable everybody was buying fuel like normal our governor, uh, you know, declared a state of emergency uh, day before yesterday, and it just went crazy. Everybody went nuts trying to get fuel, trying to fill up every gas can they have. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can only drive so far in, in a couple of days. And if they just have just not panicked, I think we would have been fine. You know, the, the panic just created so much demand. We can't keep up with it. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I know you guys are a little more back to normal down there than we are up here. But... Luckily, not a lot of people are commuting for work around here anyway, so gas miles driven are down. David Alexander, spectacular information on the ground. Really appreciate you joining us nice and early. An important story, David. Best to you and your team. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, you're very welcome. Hear that, folks? Do not panic by. Maybe the states of emergency making it an emergency. Anyway, on deck, housing, staying hot, but high prices creating new problems for another group. The renters. We'll tell you why next. All right, welcome back. Well, the U.S. housing market continues to be red hot. We've talked about it. Supplies at record lows, demand at record highs, and prices, therefore, continue to surge. But over the last decade or so, it has not just been about buyers. It's been about renters. Renters have felt the pinch. But now with COVID and the lockdowns and a change how might the real estate market change? Joining us now is PricewaterhouseCoopers head of geopolitical investing, Dr. Alexis Crow, my friend, Dr. Crow, Alexis, great to have you back on. And even you've, you've been riding out this pandemic in New York City. You might be the only one that stuck out the whole thing. And that is endemic of what you just wrote about to your clients out there, which is how this rental market 
may evolve. Talk to us about what you are seeing in places like New York City. A one one year hit or do you think there's going to be a multi year knock on effect? Sure. Thanks so much, Brian. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, Certainly what we've seen in some of the major MSAs and the major superstar cities like New York and San Francisco, um, other gateway cities such as Boston, is a tale of two rents. You know, truly we've seen a bifurcation um, of the high-end multifamily residential rents, the luxury buildings, and the lower income units. And this is something that actually predated COVID-19, but rents have been rising in the double digits, sometimes in 22% of the lower income areas, whereas on the higher income neighborhoods, uh, you have you know, developers and, and, and operators offering massive concessions to be able to keep people that have otherwise could work from home and have fled to the suburbs. And that's one of the great misconceptions and maybe bad information around this, which is everybody's fleeing the cities. Untrue. In fact, net migration is not that much out as opposed to in. It's just who's moving out. They tend to be higher income, maybe have kids versus who is moving in. How do you see that impacting the real estate and and real estate investing landscape in Boston, New York, San Francisco? Well, truly, I mean, what's underlying the magnetism of these gateway cities and why people were, were so willing to be able to um, step up to higher rents across the board is what is called agglomeration effects, according to which you know, there is a very close correlation between density and urban density and innovation across the board. So you have very efficient labor market pooling in cities such as Boston, San Francisco, New York, across sectors. Um, So certainly, whereas a lot of these workers have been able to work from home, those dividends and those productivity gains of of not having a proper commute, et cetera, will start to wane over time with a lack of collaboration. And so what we see is these markets being propelled by new entrants to the labor market, either millennials or Gen Zers that have been priced out of some of those rents that have still been rising in the higher income neighborhoods, albeit at a less caliber um, over the last few years. And so when we start to see employers calling their workers back to the office, uh, teams uh, desiring to be able to collaborate, um, we truly do see new entrants into the labor market, both in terms of rent and in terms of, of purchasing. All right, Dr. Crow, talk your own book, New York City. What's going to happen in New York in the next couple of years? Going to bounce back in, in six months? Where do we stand? Well, one thing I think is true is that we have faced a dearth. Uh, a, a lot of investors have been focused on a dearth of civic leadership, according to which it's very difficult to manage a pandemic, whether you're a governor, whether you're a mayor, uh, whether you're the head of state. And so we've seen a lot of dissent with regard to leadership across cities, and that's, and that's across jurisdictions around the world. Um, so certainly many eyes are focused on the election here. What I would point to, Brian, is the extent to which it's not only financial services and the front end of deal making that really does happen in New York, although it's been dislocated a bit to Miami and Palm Beach at the moment mm-hmm. or the Hamptons. Um, but I would say over the longer term, it's cross sector. It's looking at some of the largest employers and the largest companies in the United States that have taken out significant yeah. rents here to be able to employ their workers from across the income spectrum. Well, I'm not a PhD like you are, Dr. Kerr, but I think you might have just said a lot is riding on the mayoral election of New York. Wild speculation. (laughs) Great stuff there. That report is out from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Alexis Crow, Dr. Crow, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. 
Oh, you're very welcome. All right, on deck, your morning RBI. And like Dorothy with Oz, we're going to pull back the curtain just who owns the Colonial Pipeline. And May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. All month long, we're spotlighting some of our friends in and around the CNBC family. And here is CNBC contributor, Sarat Seti. One of the most difficult parts of growing up as an Asian American is overcoming biases. Uh, one of the biases that I was faced was that I was not good with interpersonal skills, but much stronger in math. I think with self-promotion and advocacy, you can change that and actually show those around you that you can be good in many things, not just a stereotype that comes with being Asian American. Well, today's most random but interesting thing is the very random but interesting ownership structure of the Colonial Pipeline. You might have heard about the Colonial last couple of days because it's very different from nearly every other pipeline company in America. For one, it's a private company. It's not a publicly traded stock. Also, unlike most of America's other big pipelines, it doesn't have one primary owner or even a couple. It has five who are based all over the world. Here's the breakdown of Colonial Pipeline's ownership, the biggest piece owned by Coke Capital. Yep, a unit of the massive Coke Industries. They own 28%. 23% owned by a combination of American firm KKR and South Korea's National Pension, a joint venture called KKR Keats Pipeline. A Quebec, Canada-based company called CDBQ, Caisse du Dépôt et Placement du Québec, has a 17% interest. The Melbourne, Australia-based Industry Funds Management controls 16%. The final 16 held by really the only pure oil and gas company on the list, and that is Shell. So the list showing five different owners, but when you really untangle it, it's actually seven different companies based across four different countries. Heck, four different continents, all operated by Colonial's management team based in the, I guess, pipeline hotbed of Alpharetta, Georgia, which, by the way, is also where the plantation pipeline is based as well. So the Colonial, an unusual company, certainly in many ways. Random, but interesting. All right, back now to the markets. And we're all going to be watching a very close eye on some inflation data. 8.30 this morning, got the April CPI, Consumer Price Index. It hits the tape, and no doubt everybody expecting it to show one of the biggest pops of the year, if not all time. But will it matter? Let's welcome in Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill Asset Management. Jenny, how closely are you watching this inflation measure? And if Maybe not at all. Well, I'm always curious, so I'm watching it. But as a long-term investor, it's not going to have any impact on what I do in the portfolio today, this week, next month. What I think is interesting is the debate that we're going to see emerge around transitory versus permanent with respect to inflation. And then that's where things start to get interesting, which is, you know, we've got the Fed saying, oh, it's transitory. It's certainly feeling to those of us who are in the market or those Mm -hmm. of us in the real world that it's probably going to be more permanent. And as that debate plays out, that's what's actually going to have longer term impacts on the market and on how we make investment decisions. Yeah, connect the dots, right? Because I'm guessing if the number comes in super, super hot, right? I mean, it's already expected to come hot. Let's say it comes in at five or whatever. Mm -hmm. That could bring up the taper conversation. Maybe we raise rates quicker, which then could move bond yields, which then could move growth stocks. Is that kind of the domino effect that may happen? Maybe. But again, I think it's really, it's not what's happening today, but it's what we're going to see in six months, 12 months, 18 months in terms of the permanence. Because a lot of these, 
a lot of these big inflationary numbers are because of the disruptions that we've had over the past year. And that's what they're blaming them on. They're saying, oh, well, you know, the reason it's big now is because of what happened a year ago. And then there's supply chain disruptions. So it really is it really is what happens between now and the next year with inflation mm. and how things hold. But also it's the pace of that. So one of the things that I think is interesting is we've all looked back and we've said, you know, there's been a massive leadership rotation since I would say since last September, some people say since November, but I would, and a lot of that conversation about the leadership rotation has been around things like the vaccine, like the reopening, like the election. But I would argue that actually it's been about inflation too. And this inflation really did start setting in last fall and the market did start reacting to that. And so when you think about inflation and what does well in an inflationary environment, you think cyclicals, you think industrials, materials, energy, you know, financials, all of those. And guess what? That's what's done well in the market. What does poorly in a, in a high, in a higher inflationary environment, whether it's transitory or permanent, are the big cap tech stocks that have future cash flows that we're depending on. And so when you start to discount those flat cash flows back with a higher, um, with a higher interest rate, they're not worth as yeah. much today. Also, as we think about inflation, we think about when you're paying more for gas and you're paying more for your house, all of that, that ultimately takes money out of the consumer's pocket. So they have less to spend on expensive goods. Um, okay, then you can argue the other side, which is wage inflation. I'll keep that up. We're just going to need to see how it all plays out. But I think it's not Well, whatever it is, is people say immediate. it's because you know, mm-hmm. of ships off the coast. You know, people say it's transitory ships off the coast of L.A. With all due respect, it's happening all over the world. So if it's transitory... It's happening globally. Lumber prices are soaring in Europe as well as the United States. So it's not it's not just here. Yeah. That said, Jenny, I posted a picture of a Forbes cover talking about Intel's big turnaround and the new vision at the top. Guess what? The cover was from 1999. And I just thought, wow, if we come full circle. The names you like are the ones we were talking about back then. Intel, Cisco, IBM. is It's like 20 years ago. Right. And I was actually kind of hoping that for your RBI of the day, you might make people guess what the tech leaders are right now for the year. So believe it or not, the tech leadership this year, the two hottest names in the, in the S&P tech sector are Seagate and AMAT. That's not what we would have thought would lead last year. Intel's up about 13%. Cisco's up, I think, 19%. IBM's up about 15% on the year. So that's part of this leadership rotation that we've seen. And this is where we're reminded, you know, it's not all about valuation. It's not all about a great story. They need to work together. And these companies still have great stories. Cisco and Intel and IBM and AMAT and Seagate, they're all still vital for our daily lives. And going into this year, their valuations were quite reasonable, if not extremely cheap. Um, So it's neat to see the market gain some rationality and start to reward the companies where there is still growth ahead and um, and they weren't trading at stratospheric valuations. Well said, and maybe you gave us an RBI challenge for tomorrow. We have to flip it because now we tipped off the audience, Jenny Harrington. Great idea, though. Jenny, good stuff. Really appreciate the conversation. (laughs) Best to you. Have a great day. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures down 106, NASDAQ down as well. Could be another wild day. We'll have more of the Colonial all day long. I'll see you in about 30 minutes on Squawk. They're up right after the break. Have a great day, wherever you may be. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. 
Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.